This is Broccoli. Content that's good for you. Hello and welcome to Your Broccoli Weekly. I am your host, Diora. In today's episode, we will be talking about the NRPF policy and how it impacts the lives of migrants living in the UK. Why does a government exist? The government is responsible for running the country. It sets taxes, chooses what to spend public money on, and decides how best to deliver public services. It also has a responsibility to protect all of its citizens. So when the coronavirus outbreak brought everything to a halt, the British government ensured the public that it would protect them from harm. In our coronavirus economy special, we spoke about the fact that many people are unable to work right now or have been let go entirely. But these people have been reassured that they will get support by having at least some of their wages covered. However, what if that safety net simply doesn't exist? What if you were working and paying taxes, but were barred from accessing any of the vital financial help being offered? potentially forcing you to choose between your own health and paying the rent. This is the reality for some people, and all because of a condition on their immigration status, NRPF, also known as no recourse to public funds. Public funds refers to most benefits, tax credits and housing assistance provided by the UK government. These benefits are often given to people on a low income. Those with NRPF are prohibited from accessing specified welfare benefits and public housing. Most migrants from outside the European Economic Area with temporary permission to remain in the UK have no recourse to public funds, including sponsored skilled workers, family members of British citizens, self-employed people, investors, entrepreneurs and asylum seekers. They are allowed to be here and to work and are paying taxes and immigration fees but aren't allowed to access any benefits. A legal battle to scrap the policy altogether has been going on for years, the outcome of which will be decided at the start of May. Meanwhile, those with NRPF can apply to remove the condition, but it's not easy. I spoke to Kaz Hattam from the Unity Project, a charity which aims to help people with NRPF. Launched in 2017, in their first two years they submitted over 150 successful applications and gave support to over 300 families. Kaz explained the government's reasoning for implementing this policy and actually how unfair it can be. It seems to be an intentionally punitive thing for people who have had an irregular immigration history. So I've come here maybe on one visa and are now on a different visa and possibly spent a period of time without having any immigration status, which can be for a whole host of different reasons. Ostensibly, it's to kind of promote integration and to encourage people to participate in society. Actually, everybody that we've helped with this application or met who has lived through having no recourse to public funds experiences exactly the opposite. It can hinder people's ability to work because children aren't eligible for free childcare schemes. Also, in our experience, most people continue working even if they are given recourse to public funds because I guess, as we all know, income can be incredibly low even if people have access to benefits. NRPF has always made it difficult for migrant workers to seek help from the state. But now that we're living through a pandemic, the situation is becoming critical. 
This pandemic is, is obviously a huge crisis. It kind of wakes people up to the fact that crises can happen to anyone at any time. And at the moment, this crisis is affecting everybody, obviously, in really different ways. And people who have no recourse to public funds in this crisis, but also in any other crisis that happens in their lives, like the breakdown of a relationship or a redundancy or needing to take time off for a child or anything like that, people with no recourse to public funds have no safety net. And so from one day to the next, if they lose a source of income or a home, there's nothing to fall back on, which I think is something that a lot of other people have experienced during this crisis, but it's something that's quite familiar. And so we know a lot of people who have been forced to make the decision about whether to work, even despite knowing that there's a public health risk and also a, a risk to themselves. We know a lot of people who have underlying health conditions or who for other reasons are in these high risk categories, but are still continuing to work because in the short term, that that's the only thing that they can do in order to make sure that they've got enough food for the week for themselves and their children or, or keep up with the rent. I spoke to Azzy, not her real name who was born in Sierra Leone, but lives in South London. She came to the UK in 2007 and was given leave to remain with no recourse to public funds in 2013. Her son was born in 2012 and is British. 90% of those applying to have NRPF lifted have British children. Since her son was born, they've lived in 12 different houses and Azzy is desperate for her son to have some stability. I am really disappointed because the Home Office has not deemed it fit to change my conditions of stay, even though my payslips and bank statements have proved I am a committed and hardworking single mom without funds from anywhere whose wages does not commensurate my living. I am up to this time feeling unhappy and being deprived of a convenient home for me and my son especially. Because my conditions of stay have been rejected before, that has caused me and my seven-year-old son to continue living in a subhuman environment, which is taking a heavy toll on both of us. The NRPF condition can be legally challenged when someone's leave is based on certain human rights grounds and, one, the applicant is destitute, two, there are particularly compelling reasons relating to the welfare of a child of a parent in receipt of a very low income. But how difficult is the application to lift NRPF? We've made now hundreds of these applications. For us, it's still difficult. And that's with all of our experience and legal expertise. For somebody who is making the application for a first time and maybe doesn't speak English at all or, re- or speaks a low level of English or isn't um, now the application forms online, who is someone who doesn't have access to the internet, um, obviously is going to struggle even to get to the application form. The reason that it's so difficult or one of the reasons is just the amount of evidence and information that the Home Office asks for for this application is huge. Most of our applications weigh a kilo in terms of the amount of paperwork that we submit to make sure that they're successful. And one of the things that the Home Office asks for, for example, is six months worth of bank statements for every account that the applicant holds or that their children or anyone in their household. The more that someone needs to make the application, in our experience, the less evidence they have available to them. So, for example, if someone's living in overcrowded accommodation that's in disrepair, then it's unlikely they're going to have some kind of official tenancy agreement or any kind of 
proof of the conditions of their home because a landlord's not going to give that if that's the state that it's in. There's barriers to making the application and also just the lack of advice that's available for people who want to make this application is again another thing that that stops people from making it and there's no legal aid available for it and advisors have to be accredited in a certain way to be able to advise about it so the advice that people can get is very limited. For years there has been a legal challenge to the government's NRPF policy. The case was brought by a group of single parents with young children and is trying to argue that the policy be permanently scrapped because it discriminates against women and ethnic minorities. I spoke to Adam Hunt, who is a partner at Dayton Piers Glynn, the law firm taking on the case. He is leading the legal challenge and is recognised as being one of the leading human rights and public law practitioners in the country. It was introduced in 2012 by Theresa May when she was Home Secretary and it wasn't long before we we came across clients of ours who'd been affected by it. In late 2012 and early 2013, the first few challenges started to emerge to what at that stage was an even cruder uh, and even less thought through policy than, than there is now. People were granted uh, leave to remain in the UK on the basis that they couldn't leave because they had to be here with their children, with their families. And there was no mechanism for challenging the restriction on their on recourse to public funds. So the first challenges emerged solely by way of judicial review. So basically taking legal action in the High Court. A case got through to trial in, in late 2014 and was successful. And the court decided that the the policy needed to be made official, uh, officially a part of the immigration rules and couldn't just be something that was made up by the Home Office outside of it, and that there should be a mechanism for uh, people to to be able to have the no recourse to public funds condition lifted. So the change of conditions application process came into being. But that wasn't the end of it. We still came across a lot of people who'd had the NRPF restriction imposed um, unfairly, unlawfully. Dozens of legal challenges have been brought over the last five years plus on each and every occasion that I've been involved in. The Home Office backed down and lifted the condition um, without the case going to trial, i.e. they backtracked on their decision in relation to that individual before the court could scrutinise whether that was lawful or not. If that number of people is having conditions unlawfully imposed, there is a problem. Holly Lynch, the recently appointed Shadow Immigration Minister, is also currently demanding the government suspend NRPF rules. In a letter to the Immigration Minister Kevin Foster, Seen by The Guardian, Lynch said, If those with NRPF status are not entitled to welfare support and cannot undertake their paid roles due to lockdown measures, they face an impossible choice. They either continue to work, undermining public health measures, endangering themselves and others, or alternatively, stay at home with no pay or support and face destitution. I ask the government to end this perverse incentive. As Adam says, the legal challenge has been going on for a while. The High Court was due to consider the legality of the policy in March 2019, but the Home Office conceded and said it would go away and review the policy. On 24th of March this year, the High Court was due to consider the legality of the policy again, but with the UK-wide lockdown being announced the evening before, the hearing was adjourned. On the 3rd of April, there was a hearing in the Divisional Court applying to suspend the NRPF policy until the full case can be heard on May the 6th. 
There are several stages involved in in the run-up to the May hearing. So the first stage is um, that the Home Office has been uh, directed by the judges to finally produce their review of the policy. Now, the policy has been under review for over a year, and they keep on delaying the outcome of that review. So the judges made it very clear that this was their last chance to produce it. Otherwise, the hearing would go ahead without them having a policy that's been reviewed. That kind of made them have to do it. So they will produce their reviewed policy. Uh, I'm not holding up a, out a huge amount of hope that it'll change dramatically. I think they'll probably tinker around the edges and try and make it superficially more generous, but probably not in reality. And then we will prepare evidence in response to show uh, what the impact has been in the meantime. And that, that's a, a particularly key opportunity for us to show what how people have been affected by this policy during the pandemic. And then we prepare all our legal arguments and uh, documents for the court. And at the hearing, we'll be aiming to show a number of things. First of all, that the policy, however it's operated, leaves people destitute to, to such extents and for such prolonged periods that it breaches their human rights. We'll also be arguing that the policy is discriminatory in that it uh, disproportionately impacts single mothers and British children of black African or Caribbean origin. And that the policy has such far-reaching consequences that it's not legal for it to be operated without giving Parliament a chance to object to it formally. So we want the MPs to be able to exercise some scrutiny over it rather than the Home Office to keep on producing it as part of rules or or guidance rather than as a proper law. If they're going to try and restrict access to public funds, then they need to do it a lot more carefully and lawfully. Obviously, the coronavirus pandemic has a big bearing on that as a a context and has, has... brought into sharper focus the impact the policy has on people. But our argument really is that coronavirus or no coronavirus, the policy is inhumane. The court's hearing on the 6th of May will decide once and for all whether the government policy should be scrapped. The Home Office has pledged swift, compassionate decision-making. But what if the High Court decides against removing the policy? There is a possibility we might not succeed, in which case uh, we would probably look to appeal to the Court of Appeal. And then if not, uh, if unsuccessful in the Court of Appeal, we'd go to the Supreme Court. So it wouldn't be the end of the road. But if we succeed, there are a number of ways in which we could succeed. And the court has a, a, a wide range of steps it could take in response. What we're asking it to do is, is, is quash the policy, get rid of it, quash the immigration rules that, that, that underpin it. Uh, alternatively, it might make a declaration that the current rules and policy are unlawful. And that's a slight fudge. It says, that's where the court says, well, it's unlawful, but we're not going to get rid of it. And you, the government, you have to come go back and um, have a think about how you're going to make it lawful. And finally, one of our arguments uh, is that the, the policy hasn't had a parliamentary scrutiny. So it may be that the policy has to go back to the House of Commons to be debated, it would probably be suspended in the meantime. That would then depend on the timing of the legislative programme, how soon it got into the House of Commons, and then of course on how many MPs cared about it. But at that point, we would be asking people to lobby and get their MPs to, to get on board with it. It would be easy to feel helpless after hearing about NRPF and the problems associated with it. But you don't have to be a highly trained lawyer or a Supreme Court judge to help those struggling with NRPF in this tumultuous time. 
Here's what Kaz has to say. I think one thing is to sort of raise awareness of no recourse to public funds for people who don't know. Lots of people come to us for advice but don't know that the application is available. So while this application still exists, I think it's important that people know that it exists so they know there is help available. So that's one thing that people can do. And yeah, as the Unity Project, we're always looking for people to volunteer to help us. If anybody has time to support us in that way, then that, that would also be great. This may all sound like a long battle against government policy just happening in the courts, but at the heart of it, real people like Azzy are having to deal with conditions imposed by NRPF in their everyday lives. My future seems bleak. My greatest desire is to become a social worker, which I cannot achieve due to the nature of my conditions of stay. I would love to give back to this society if given the opportunity to achieve my dream. I think the government should be doing more to help key workers in my position who are committed to their job, especially wherein ends cannot meet at these crucial times, in order to help meet their basic needs. Lifting my new recourse would bring a positive change for me and my son, being relieved from the struggles of living in conducive atmosphere to a proper home. So what has the UK government done for migrant communities in this moment of a global crisis? Not much, argues journalist May Goodfellow. In The Guardian, she writes... It is moments like these that expose the true impact of anti-immigration policies. As we're all being told to stay at home, asylum seekers are forced to use cramped communal eating spaces and live in damp, dirty accommodation. And migrants are worrying about how they'll feed themselves. The virus might not care about immigration status, but government policy still can. The hostile environment introduced in the beginning of the last decade hasn't gone away. If anything, it's gotten worse. It was just a few months ago when the current Home Secretary, Priti Patel, revealed the UK's plans for a new points-based immigration system. And this week, the immigration bill was due to be introduced in Parliament, a legislation which would end free movement once and for all. But the bill has been pulled back because the government is currently charting flights to bring in low-skilled workers to pick fruit. It seems that overnight, migrants who have been demonised for years have turned into key workers during the pandemic. But it shouldn't take a pandemic to see the lack of humanity this government has towards migrants and the important role they play in our society. They may be applauded for the hard work they continue to do, but most are having to work because they simply have no other choice. With no financial support from the government, Despite paying into the system in taxes and immigration fees, they're being forced to work, putting their lives at risk, and on a wider scale, threatening public health in the context of coronavirus. For example, migrant taxi workers are continuing to work, with at least one driver recently dying from COVID-19. As Portugal grants temporary citizenship rights to migrants during coronavirus, what will Britain choose to do? People's rights should not be determined by the work they do or how much they earn. Though coronavirus has exposed how flawed NRPF really is, it cannot continue after the lockdown eases. No one should be left out in the cold, during a pandemic or ever. We need to be listening to those with NRPF and helping them as much as we can. But ultimately, 
It's the government's responsibility to provide basic human rights for insecure workers, and we should continue holding the government accountable for failing to do so. Though the upcoming NRPF hearing can be a step forward in giving migrants support, there's still a lot of work to be done in ending the government's hostile environment. I really hope you enjoyed this special episode of Your Broccoli Weekly. I've been your host, Yora. Follow me on Twitter to keep up to date with my hot takes on the news. My username is at the Diora. Credits of the clips used in this episode and relevant information can be found on our website, www.yourbroccoliweekly.com. Don't forget to join the conversation and share your views using the hashtag YourBroccoliWeekly. Also, I would be really grateful if you could give a rating and a review of Your Broccoli Weekly on your favourite podcast app. It helps more people find us. Your Broccoli Weekly is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Pocket Casts and all your favourite apps. This special episode of Your Broccoli Weekly was produced by B. Duncan and Cass Denton. This is a Broccoli Production.